Welcome to episode 110, of Bono's Health, and super excited to be publishing this on our guest's birthday. We recorded it a few weeks ago, but uh, the way I work, I have to publish a little delayed. I get one a week out, so last week I actually missed publishing, so I apologize for anyone who sits there and is excited each week. I hope that's you, uh, but I need to hear from you guys, so if you are uh, excited or need to hear different things from me, I am open, I am game, I enjoy doing these, I love doing these, so whatever you want to hear from me, let me know, communication, I'm always open. Uh, Mike Bledsoe, uh, anyone in the CrossFit space probably knows him from his Barbell Shrug days, he is now out on his own, he has his own Mike Bledsoe show, another awesome podcast I recommend you go check out. And he is coaching coaches, uh, helping other personal trainers, people in the fitness space kind of bridge those gaps. Uh, He's done a lot of successful, successful stuff. So uh, super fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. If you get a chance, please send this to at least one person you think will benefit from it and enjoy the show. When it's starting and there it goes, I think it's live. Here we go. Live with. Mike Bledsoe, the Mike Bledsoe of the Mike Bledsoe show and the strong coach, uh, formerly of Barbell Shrugged. And I, I think that's how a lot of people probably know you. I know that's how I was first introduced to you. Uh, Barbell Shrugged, you still still in touch with those guys? Yeah, I was just talking to Doug the other day. So he, they, had, uh, they had kept one of my domains on their server and I was like, hey, I need that thing back. <laughs> Yeah, nice, nice. But yeah, uh, we're we're all friends and still still keep up and those guys are doing great. So, super happy that they were able to uh continue to do really good things even though I'm not there. <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh maybe another day we'll get into the drama and what happened there. But that's okay. We <laughs> we, we don't we don't have to do that today. Uh we're here to talk about uh the strong coach and uh, some aspects. So Mike here is uh, you've shifted and your primary focus now is coaching other coaches. Uh, I've listened to a bunch of the episodes of the Mike Bledsoe show. Ironically, uh, as I texted you the other day, you just had a, I'd say a friend of mine. Uh, we were not like best friends, but uh, Jeremiah Dupin, he kind of got, uh, we had a lot of overlap in Dubai. He was working for one of the wealthiest humans on earth as his trainer. And I was surprised that didn't come up in, in that conversation. And uh, I almost took over for him at some point. Uh, that's a whole nother weird, crazy story uh, as a yeah. lot of things from Dubai are weird and crazy. Um, but yeah, Jeremiah, that's a great episode for anyone. We can link that somewhere down below. I think it was like two weeks ago. You guys posted that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really cool stuff. And um, another episode I, I'll, I'll shout out. You talked to uh, kind of the, the raging father, uh, <laughs> dad rage. Um, but just more about, uh, I'm, I'm an expecting dad we're due in November. So, uh, definitely caught my eye and a very cool episode. Um, something that I've explored a lot, even before becoming a father is men's groups. Um, I've had a few, uh, folks on this podcast who run men's groups and things like that. And the father piece of it, uh, adds a very unique dynamic to it. So very cool episodes. And I really appreciate what you're doing, uh, with the podcast for sure, as well as the coaching business. So tell us a little bit about uh, the coaching business. You're based out of Austin, Texas, but all of this is mostly online, right? Yeah, most of it's online. And I, I have a couple of live events each year, one in the spring, one in the fall here in Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, I started the business about four years ago. I, I actually didn't know I was starting a business. I thought I was just going to put together a product. I'm like, okay. I was on a, a six-month sabbatical or I was six months into a, a one-year sabbatical. And I'm traveling around and I, I see coaches in gyms interacting with clients and I'm just witnessing discomfort. I'm witnessing the coach isn't hearing the client and the client, you know, there's just this, there's a massive miscommunication. I go, wow, I can look at this just the same way you can look at people who are dating and you go, well, this isn't going to last long, Ooh, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And so I, um, you know, while I was at Barbell Shrugged, I, you know, we had built our team up to, you know, we had over 20 something people that we were working with. And I had uh, signed up for a lot of leadership development courses and I had a coach and I went to workshops and seminars and like basically learned how to become a better communicator. Obviously I was, I was okay at it since I was podcasting and communicating in a broadcast sense. Uh, I had that nailed down, but actually listening to people, <laughs> hearing what was actually going on for them. 
uh, I needed a lot of help with that. And then when I, years later, as I'm wandering the planet and I'm witnessing coaches, I go, wow, they actually have a problem with this too. So uh, my original motivation was to help them with mostly leadership training, communication, uh, the, the soft um, skill, the soft skills of coaching mm-hmm. is really where uh, I wanted to help. And then once I, once I put together the first course and I was, I was leading a group of students through it because what I like to do is I like to, to say, Hey, we want to achieve this end result and we're going to figure out where you're starting. And then we're going to build the curriculum as we go. And then by the third week, I realized almost everybody here needs some business and marketing advice because you know what? They may be really great coaches, but if they don't have any clients, you know, we really can't help them. So the strong coach began developing from the very beginning where it started, started up as leadership communication training and then evolved into a business, into business training as well. And so once I got off the ground, I pretty much took a step back from it and then uh, let one of my first students who I'd been mentoring him for a number of years prior to that, uh, that course. And then he, he was like, I want to, I want to like really, you know, help you with this. I'm like, ah, I just wanted to create a course and sell it. And next thing you know, he, he takes off with it and starts building the business. And um, yeah, it's, it's been the easiest business <laughs> ever built it was ext- you know, it's been extremely profitable. Um, and uh, yeah, we've helped a lot of coaches. I love the, the, the types of coaches that we attract. We, we attract the weirdos, <laughs> you know, they're like, uh, you know, they, they study like David Weck, you know, the Weck method and they're into Paul check and they're into plant medicines and all the, all the wacky stuff, all the like holistic wellness type people. So, uh, yeah, really happy to be working with people who I, uh, I resonate with myself. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And yeah, obviously I've been following all that stuff. Um, uh, Weck was just on the ready state podcast. That's the first time I think I've really heard him speak. Uh, he was also the inventor of the Bosu ball um, and, and yeah. a lot of stuff. If you guys are scrolling on Instagram, you'll see the, the WEC method with the, the jump ropes and some different kind of slant boards, right? A, a, as far as the yeah. foot training. Yeah, so. I, I primarily use the rope and uh, some of his boards uh, for training my feet. Yeah. And uh, that's the primary things I do with his stuff. I, I He came through town. I wanted to go to a seminar, but. I had a conflict, but I, that, I've spent a couple of days with that guy total and hmm. he, he's a genius. Sounds I mean, like he, it, yeah. he, he's crazy. But he's a genius. <laughs> a lot yeah. of times those go hand in hand. You brought they up Paul check. He's another one of the crazy geniuses for, for real, for real. Um, yeah. I yeah. have a few, a few of his books as well. And that's stuff that uh, from day one, uh, getting into the fitness space was definitely uh, wow. Who's this guy? What's he doing? And now, uh, I don't think I'd heard him talk for a few years. And then I went to download one of his, his podcasts and he's talking about being able to, you know, be on the, the next plane of existence and, and yeah. all sorts of spiritual stuff. And it's, and trusting him. And again, not necessarily for me being connected to that. It's like, I kind of want to know more because it's pretty interesting. Um, I personally haven't done any of the psychedelics and things like that, but it definitely seems like there is some, something there, the third eye. And, and again, that kind of woo woo ish, uh, which again, there's something there and I'm here in Boulder, uh, pretty much right next to Boulder and oh, yeah. everyone's got crystals and, and Reiki from, uh, zoom Reiki. Uh, <laughs> and- yeah, it's, um, it, it, I, I like to think about it as like, uh, I think a lot of times we say woo woo when we just mean mystical hmm. and it's like, I don't, I mean, what, whatever is mystical is something that I just don't quite understand yet. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, uh, I, I sat down with a guy recently and. He goes, how do you, you know, you're, you, you've got this whole scientific thing. You're very science oriented. And then you're also pretty mystical. How do you, or spiritual is what he said is like, how do you, how do you like make these two things work together? And I was like, well, there's, I I don't like to think about spiritual. I like to think about as mystical. Mm. And then you have science. And the truth is, is like, I'm, I'm validating my own truth throughout the day all the time. I don't need a a research paper to tell me what's true. If I can witness it for myself, most people they're, they're in this world, there's a lack of, of trusting your own eyes for validation. And 
I've had personal experiences that are very, uh, you would call them mystical in nature, but now they, they're extremely obvious to me. I go, Oh, it's just obvious. It's as, it's as obvious as, you know, a lot of these scientific principles, it's mystical to other people because they haven't had the experience of it and trying to explain it on a piece of paper or with words at all, you're never going to have the words to explain them. But once someone has the experience, then I think it's, you know, it, things become obvious and less mystical. Yeah. And, uh, I think it actually came up on my podcast earlier today with Rob Wolf of, I think he quoted Arthur C. Clarke, but basically that, you know, 20 years from now, there's going to be stuff that to us today is like, Oh, that's just accepted. Just like, you know, 50 years ago being able to say, Hey, I can pull this thing out of my pocket and pretty much get anything in the world on this little device and talk to pretty much anyone in the world, uh, and video call them. Like these are, these are sci-fi things that, uh, that, you know, people talk about and it's like, wow, that'll never happen. But yeah. uh, here we are. And it's like, it's, it's beyond commonplace now. So there's definitely things that, again, um, would seem mystical 20 years from now might be the stuff that is, is uh, woo woo today or, or, or kind of the other way around. But yeah, that's definitely super duper interesting stuff there. And, and uh, I feel like we could do many, many hours just going into that kind of piece of yeah. it. But I want to jump back to the, the nuance of personal responsibility, which was the kind of first uh thing you threw at me and and would love for you to expand on that yeah oh uh, you know i submit some of these things and i forget about them <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah the, the the nuance of personal responsibility i think that there's uh what we have in the world at large right now is a, a, a lack of personal responsibility there uh, the uh, are you familiar with the drama triangle i'm not okay in in psychology there's a um, What's funny is uh, my my fiance, she's a psychotherapist, and I brought up the drama triangle, and she didn't know what I was talking about. And I was like, well, here's all these. It's a whole list of studies. They're like, oh, they never taught us this in school. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, the drama triangle is uh, something that every human uh, creates in their mind uh, in relationship to other people. And the triangle is made up of one point is uh, the hero. Another point is the victim and the other point is the villain. And so inside this drama triangle or in, in, in the world, as we're operating and we're, we're meeting people and uh, we start placing, well, this person's a villain, this person's a victim, this person's a hero. And we also place ourselves in that too. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm a hero to this person. So like a lot of codependent relationships are one person is playing the, the hero and the other person is playing the victim and the hero has this feels this need to save the victim and from you know and, and villains are primarily externalized you know i gotta save them from you know their parents or their financial situation or whatever it is and it it's uh the drama triangle is really easy to see in politics uh because uh you know, if there's a, a, a left leaning politician, they're going to tell the people that are in their district that they're being victimized by the villain, which is this, mm. um, you know, this right wing extremist. Right. And so they paint this picture. And so the for for someone to position themselves as a hero and try to position someone else as a villain against somebody, it's it's pretty gross actually. And, and these politicians do know what they're doing, but this is a really, I, I think I, I bring it up with politics because I think it's obvious. It's less mm -hmm. obvious when we start getting into our own personal lives, like what's happening at home or what's happening in the workplace. But in politics, it's pretty easy. It's like, Oh yeah, they're constantly, there you go. You got the drama triangle up here on, um, on the screen. And so, uh, the, the, the thing is, is most people are in victim, you know, and you can tell that they're in victim because they're blaming anything other than than themselves for where they're at in life. And in the United States, at least, it has become popular to be the victim. You know, before it was like, if you wanted to be cool, you wanted to be the hero. But now it's it's like the the victim has been put on this pedestal. And so a lot of times people wake up to this fact. They go, wow, I've been a victim. I've been blaming everybody else for my problems. Uh, why is my business not working? Why, you know, why am I always in debt? 
why is it that every, you know, beautiful women don't pay attention to me? You know, why, you know, all these things, it's like, it, it's somebody else's fault. It's the economy's fault. And so a lot of times people go, they, they swing really hard and they go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take personal responsibility. I'm going to transcend this drama triangle and I'm going to assume that everything is my fault, right? What could I, which can be very, very healthy. Any situation that I approach when something happens is what first, what is it that I could have done to uh, avoid this situation? For instance, I had a, uh, I, I had some really gnarly stuff happen um, in 2017 with my business. And the first thing that I did, cause I was in this place of taking personal responsibility is I, I looked at like every point in this business relationship where <clears throat> something where, where I sacrificed my own values, I sacrificed my own boundaries. And it was really healthy because I go, look, I learned all these lessons. I did it this way and I now know better and I'm going to do it a different way moving forward. So taking that personal responsibility can be really healthy and being able to develop as a human. Now, where the nuance is, is if you're always assuming that you're responsible for everything going on in your world, what ends up happening for a lot of people is they don't realize that even the people they surround themselves with, <laughs> there, there's this thing where they go, oh, everyone around me is just a reflection of me. But the, the nuance is, is taking personal responsibility also me, may mean cutting somebody out of your life. It's like, oh, this person is constantly, uh, is, um, what's it called? Uh, energy vampire or something like that. They're always yeah. draining me of my energy. And, um, so it's so like, yeah, it's sometimes people will go, well, I just need to take personal responsibility and I need to figure out how, what my role is in this. And then that will solve the problem. And, and it becomes very egotistical. Uh, and what that person needs to do is they do need to just realize that, taking personal responsibility may mean just cleaning up who you're hanging out with in, in your life. And that's uh, to me, that's like the nuance that most people are missing in, in the conversation. Yeah. There's a lot there for sure. Uh, appreciate you sharing that with us. And now I flipped us side to side. I yep. think people will figure it out. Um, <laughs> sorry for anyone watching and all the bouncing around. That was definitely not the biggest version of that. I uh, created a little PDF as you were talking, I had to Google it last minute again. We do not have a full 20 person team like you, you guys did about the shrug, but, uh, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, my wife's also a, a, a therapist. Um, you know, she specializes in relationships and sex and, uh, yeah, not, I, I'll, I'll have to ask her later if, if that's something she's heard of in fact. And, uh, very cool though, in terms of, yeah, we're seeing a lot of that with the current student debt crisis and, uh, the, the recent kind of, kind of rulings. And it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting to, uh, engage with folks on both sides of the aisle. Uh, I consider myself somewhere in the center, um, to say the least, but, uh, to, to try to have nuanced conversations. And ironically, again, I mentioned the, the earlier podcast today with Rob Wolf. Uh, I'm sure you've heard some of his political ramblings at some point. And, and, uh, he had a whole podcast about libertarianism, um, that, uh, he explained why that no longer exists. And it's a good reason. Uh, hopefully in the grand scheme of things, it's a, it's a positive net positive that, uh, they have to get rid of that so that his, uh, partner Dave Dooley could save the world in, in his own special way. But uh, not sure if you know about any of that story. I, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> is, is it is, is libertarianism over or is it just over for Rob? Well, Rob, uh, I believe still believes in that side of things. I didn't I didn't push him on that topic, but he had a podcast called the uh, the controversial truth uh, with his partner Dave Dooley and Dave ended up getting an opportunity to have some really powerful political uh, things going on and, and financial things. And so he, they kind of had to uh, erase that, uh, all of that from the internet so that that, that kind of wouldn't be <laughs> held against them. Uh, cause I would say they had some pretty strong, strong views that uh, again, yeah. could certainly be taken the wrong way. So there's a lot of interesting, uh, parallels to what you're talking about, about it's the, easy the to take people out of context sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but also just to disagree with them. I think they were, they tried to be very in context. It's hard to take them out of context. I, again, I used to listen to that podcast for sure. And I, I would say, I'm a political novice, and at the end of the day, I, I try to f fight hard to not 
uh, go into any of these things. And this is kind of my spiritual journey. I try to be as kind of more Buddhist, chase that concept. I have a little Buddhist tattoo on my arm there, um, oh, nice. you know, and so I definitely, you know, follow <clears throat> guys like you and talking about your spiritual journey. And I haven't gone to the point of, of like, yeah, taking psychedelics or things like that. But uh, it's it's something definitely down the line I'd be open to. And, and as much as I can, I'm trying to uh, find figure out how to how to do that spiritual journey uh with again the realities of religion and politics and interacting with clients and people uh so that's where i love doing these podcasts is uh you know it's called bono's health but it's really about i used to call it bono's stuff uh and i tried to focus on health but then i'm like i can't i can't uh not talk to guys like you when we have the opportunity and i'm like hey would you would you be willing to jump on and you are and here we are um so yeah i really appreciate learning more stuff um, and that's a very cool, cool share from you about the, again, drama triangle. And, um, I see all the, I see how that can be very applicable in, in today's day and age for sure. So there's a lot of really cool stuff there. Um, any other thoughts before we move into, uh, one of your other bullet points that you probably forgot what they are? Yeah. Well, you know, in regard to the drama triangle, I, I think what people need to keep in mind is that the idea is not to move around inside of it. So sometimes people go, oh, I'm going to go from victim to hero where you really want to go is just transcend the whole thing and go, Oh, I've been placing myself here and realize that the, the entirety of that model is completely, you know, an illusion made up by your own mind. And it, it takes you out of the reality of what is. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's some powerful stuff to reflect on. And I think, again, we've seen this mental health crisis over the last few years um, whether we call it a crisis or an awakening or an awareness or, or whatever, however we're going to phrase it. But, uh, with all that, and you know, the, the, the kind of push now of, um, life coaches, mental health coaches, the, uh, what I, I, I better help is the one that's on every single podcast. I'm surprised, uh, they haven't asked me to, to be a sponsor yet. Maybe one day. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And again, the concept of therapy, uh, is, is a pretty powerful one. And, and I think that's why a lot of people turn to plant medicines and, uh, there's a lot of very cool stuff happening there. And, uh, I also heard you talk about, uh, I think it was with Jeremiah or it might've been with your other guy who dresses as a banana in, in airports, um, whose name I forgot right now, but, uh, walks around with his boombox. What was his name? Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, uh, Jacques. Yes. Yes. Very interesting sounding fellow. Um, <laughs> I think it was that episode. It might've been Jeremiah episode where you're talking about the fact that people will go and do like two or three, uh, you know, ayahuasca experiences and be like, I want to be a shaman. Um, and like, okay, well there's like a lot more to it than that folks. Um, yeah. and, and so there's, again, there's the nuance to a lot of these things. Um, and yeah, it'd be, it'd be very interesting to kind of, you know, go down that rabbit hole of, of, uh, how a lot of those things come together, but that kind of brings us naturally to leadership, uh, which was, uh, the second one. You wanted to talk about there so tell us about leadership yeah so well i, I do want to say one thing in regard to for for therapists and life coaches alike is uh, i think our primary job is to help people get in better contact with reality and so <clears throat> most of the suffering that occurs for an individual is that they're they're out of touch with it and if you look around our society right now it's that's a huge part of the problem is people are, uh, you know, they want the world to conform to their inner experience instead of conforming their inner experience to reality, to what's happening in the world. And so, um, so yeah, I just want to point that out because I, I do notice a lot of, um, therapists and coaches giving clients a little, uh, like uh, in their attempt to validate their experience, their internal experience, that's like they're giving them permission to be out of touch with reality, which is going to long term just harm, uh, harm yeah. them and yeah. harm everyone around them. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a really important distinction to make for sure. And uh, that uh, it's not like you had some more before you took your sip there. I don't know. No, that was it. That okay. Was it. Uh, one of the more impactful books I've read in this kind of journey that we're talking about here for me was a book called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. I don't know if you've come across that. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, I believe I, I picked it up for, or uh, heard of it from Tim Ferriss. And I think he's, you know, he, if anyone's listening to his podcast, which uh, with the statistics that are out there about his podcast, I'm pretty sure there's no one listening to this who would not have heard one of his podcasts. Um, <laughs> he's pretty, pretty popular guy. Um, but uh, I think it was, he asked the question, what's the book you've gifted the most often? 
And that led him to this book, Awareness. And I believe he has like 40 copies is what he said at any given time at his house. He kind of keeps the stock there and anyone comes by, he'll just hand them a copy of that book. So uh, it's pretty quick, a uh, quick read. I think it's only like $9 on Amazon or something like that. Uh, it was written by a Jesuit priest who then started to explore. And I think he was from India, but he started to explore a lot of other religions and see some of the parallels and kind of try to break down the, the lines of religion and say like, where's the commonality? And a lot of it just comes back to, yeah, awareness and being in the moment and just saying like, uh, you know, whatever's in front of you, we're on this podcast right now. You're, you're out there listening to this podcast right now. That, like, that's, that's what you need to be aware of where, uh, you know, I think even then, I think he started that, that book in the late eighties, but you know, we, you know, we have the phones in front of us. We're checking out who just left me a voicemail, who just texted me. Um, but that awareness, uh, is really, you know, it, it was, it was a pretty amazing book. Uh, I feel like I only read it once. And even that had pretty strong impact on me of like putting a lot of these concepts together that I've been looking for, for a long time. And, I'm curious to to go uh, down that path and read a bunch more on that. And uh, yeah, so if that's something piques your interest. Uh, the other one that my wife and I talk about, not turning this into a book club, is uh, The Courage to Be Disliked. Have you heard of that one? Uh-uh, no. Man, come on, we got to get you reading that. No. <laughs> uh, that's the one I would say we previously had given out the most. Uh, and that's Ichiro Kishimi. And I have, I'm just looking at it, I have it right there. Uh, it's actually written very interestingly. It's a dialogue between like a 20 something year old kid and a, an old wise man. Um, and so it, it's based on um, Adlerian psychology um, with a mix of kind of the spirituality piece. So it's very, it's very cool. Um, picked up a lot of really cool things from there. So to, I'll throw that out to you as well as the listener. Um, yeah, I would and, love to check and, those out. Yeah. And I think he actually has a sequel, which we just ordered, which we had no idea about is the courage to be happy. Um, and so there's some really, again, powerful stuff, I think that, uh, we're going to, we're, that we've taken away from the previous one. So I'm very excited to, to read that one. And, uh, yeah, we have a kid on the way too. So a lot of this stuff is like, I need some perspective, man. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I, need, I need to, I need to know. And, and again, I've had, uh, a few, you know, guys like Rob Wolf, Kelly Starrett, uh, and his wife, Juliet on here and recently and in the last few weeks. And, uh, a lot, you know, I'm like, what do I ask these guys? They're like these, these leaders in the industry. And, and I'm like, is there hope for humanity is my question. So I don't know if you have an answer to that different than they did, but um, <sighs> is there hope for humanity where we are and where things are going? And obviously I think, you know, it sounds like you're trying to do your part to help coaches and you see a problem like personal trainers uh, having trouble connecting with their clients. Maybe they can get them more pushups and pull-ups uh, and things like that and picking up more weight off the ground. But uh, if they can't connect with them on a human level, that there's something missing there. Uh, yeah. so, you know, sounds like you're doing your part there, but yeah. What do you think? Is there, is there hope for humanity for my child, for my son? I, I, I think there is, um, I'm actually, uh, listening to a book right now that's called, uh, the end of the world is just the beginning. Mm. And the guy's making a, a case for, if you're in the United States or Mexico, you're going to fare pretty well moving forward. Mm. Uh, and what we're witnessing right now it, through, you know, uh, th there's a depopulation issue. And that the generation that should be producing the most is actually and consuming the most. The, the consumption is the highest between the ages of 25 and 45. Because when people are really setting up their lives and their families, and there's just not that many in the rest of the world. Uh, we've had a positive population growth in the United States, but majority of the countries outside the United States, there's actually been a depopulation. And so it doesn't mean like China is shrinking in numbers at this moment, but the age range of the people 25 to 45 is much smaller than it was the previous generation. And so when consume, uh, when things are, when consumption goes down, GDP goes down, things start to collapse. And so basically, uh, the last 75 years, we've had, uh, a lot of globalization due to worldwide peace. Um, and the, uh, in the book, he's basically stating that everything's going to deglobalize. So we got decentralization happening. We have technology for decentralization. We have deglobalization happening out of necessity because uh, trade is going to likely come to a, a halt um, for various reasons, which I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not the one who wrote the book, but <laughs> reading the book actually gave me a little bit of help, uh, a little bit of hope um, in that, you know, especially being an American, um, it definitely made me feel better <laughs> uh, because we have uh, all the resources we need in the United States and uh, 
it's easy to transport goods uh, in the United States. So I think we're going to be okay. Um, for humanity as a whole. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that there is hope. I think it's just always changing, right? Like what it was a hundred years ago and what it is today are completely different. And uh, you know, my fiance and I are talking about having kids right now and I have zero, the way I see it is I'm not concerned about how they're going to be in the world. Is, is the world good enough for my kids? I'm concerned about, are my kids going to uh, participate in the world and what makes it better? The same thing. I don't worry about myself. When I go out and I talk to people and, you know, I'm trying to help people and I have concerns and they're like, oh, you must be worried for you. I'm like, look, I ain't worried for me. I'm, I'm good. I'm adaptable. I'm, you know, uh, I'm healthy. Uh, I, I'm, I can take care of myself. I'm looking at the swaths of people who are overly reliant on systems they don't understand. And so, uh, humanity, I don't know. I don't even know how to even think about that, but I can tell you that my lineage, my kids, they're going to be fine. They're going to do well. And, uh, and a big part of that is knowing how to take care of yourself. Just knowing the basic stuff. Most, most adults running around are just overripe children. They're hmm. not, they don't actually, they don't, they don't think like adults. They're, they're driven by their emotions. They, uh, and they, they're driven by emotions they don't understand or they're trying to avoid. It's not even, uh, you know, we're all emotionally driven for sure. But what is that? What is that space between stimulus and response? Right. Mm. And so, uh, the majority of the population is going to suffer and is going to be at the whim of, you know, whatever's happening, whatever's happening in politics or whatever it is. Uh, most, most people are going to suffer. Most people are suffering like humanity as a whole. Like it's, it's depressing the last few years, just watching, uh, how everyone's become so divided and the, the rise of victim mentality, uh, and all these things it's, uh, I've gone through, I've gone through some like depression over the last few years, just witnessing everything. And, and there being times where I didn't feel like there was any hope, but, uh, and, and it's really shrank my consideration. I'm like, you know what? I really, I can't worry about the whole world. All I can do is make sure that I'm good. And this goes into the leadership conversation. It's like, I gotta be able to lead myself. And we're talking about leadership, sustainability. It's all the same. <laughs> uh, I got to be able to lead myself first. Am I good? Can I take care of myself? Am I contributing to society? Am I doing good things? Am I building good karma? All right. My partner, how's my relationship with her? Is she doing the same? All right. Our family, when we have kids, that's what I'm going to be concerned with. And it's these concentric circles that work out, right? It's like, okay, now it's like, now I'm concerned with the, the city of Austin, Texas. You know, how's it doing? Well, it's a bit of a disaster at times. Uh, and I can't, I can't even impact the city of Austin that much, right? Like what makes me think I'm going to be making uh, an impact way out there? And, and there's a really great phrase in, uh, in, in politics, which is, uh, is a think globally, act locally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is like so many people are worried about what's happening at the presidential level or, or international diplomacy. And they aren't even aware of what's going on in their own backyard. They're just so wrapped up in all the, the BS. Um, and so, yeah, over the last few years, I've gotten very much in touch with what is it that I can make an impact and keep the circle small and, you know, be the change. Yeah. The funny thing I would say, uh, the, the counter to that, if you will, is uh, you, based on technology and based on where the world's been, um, at least in my experience, the kind of like next door and Facebook groups of the, the local areas that we've been living in recently uh, becomes overwhelming. And it's like, I don't know how to make an impact locally when it's like, hey, we're everyone's voting on this thing. And, you know, like we, we need everyone. Uh, the community, we live in 320 units right now here in Superior, Colorado. Um, there's a, it's a three million dollar pool project. So divide that out. It's like ten thousand dollars per owner. Um, and they couldn't get the critical mass needed to even vote 
no or yes uh because <laughs> i don't i don't know why i don't know why but uh you know a lot of people who might have their whole life savings involved like they're like i don't want to have to pay an additional ten thousand dollars uh and i'm voting no but we couldn't get that so you can't even make change in these kind of things so it becomes frustrating and it's easier to argue about you know trump versus biden or or, or all that fun stuff but yeah it's really crazy how you know uh a this just came up again with with rob uh you know anyone who's listening to this one if they haven't listened to the rob wall rob wolf one uh you know go go listen to that because there's a lot he goes down that same rabbit hole of again and he might be getting involved in the local stuff and that was kind of one of his big takeaways or or messages is uh yeah get involved in in the local scene you can make a huge difference in you know what what schools are doing uh you know get parents in, involved and if you make a, a solid enough common sense enough scientifically based enough uh kind of situation like the, that's that's what's going to happen and we talked about the apocalypse and and you know if if systems collapse uh having that community it, it's going to come down to you know do you have of this 320 foot uh you know uh units we're in here is if if we can if i can get 100 people to be like, hey, are we are we are we going to do this together? Are we going to survive together? Um, you know, you can you can pr create a pretty strong bond of of folks that you know we've seen in the CrossFit space, we've seen in uh, martial arts. He does the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu stuff. I think in Austin, you have a pretty amazing. From what I've seen, I've only visited once or twice, but uh, it seems like you have a pretty cool fitness space where a lot of folks kind of know each other, get to know each other, and yeah. and and create some strong bonds. So uh, again, in in the event of the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the zombie apocalypse or whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. I did want to just, uh, double down on the stimulus to response piece. Cause again, that's one that comes up for me a lot. Uh, something I'm always working on, especially as a New Yorker who gets enraged. <laughs> uh, I'm friends with some New Yorkers. Yeah. yeah. There's like, <laughs> you, they all have to do some work, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of undoing many years of Brooklyn, Brooklyn living there. Um, but that's a huge one, and it comes mostly from Buddhist principles. In fact, uh, I think one of the first places I really heard it uh, phrased that way, uh, I heard Neil Brennan talk about it, uh, who was one of the writers on Chappelle's show, has become a pretty popular comedian. But I think Phil Jackson's book, uh, I think it was called Sacred Hoops, uh, is the book I read. And he talked about that, and I think Steve Kerr ended up picking up that kind of concept and running with it. Obviously, one of his players uh, and now one of the best coaches out there. Um, and then the, the other piece to it is control what you can control, which has been a very popular kind of stoic, uh, you know, daily stoic uh, concept of we're all going to die. Control what you can control. Uh, and if you can't control it, why, why are you spending time arguing with, you know, yeah. people on the Internet about it? So, uh, sorry, I said a lot there. I'll let you uh, unpack well, something there. Well, yeah, I like, I like to go like, um, well, I'll, I'll speak to like the the, the locally thing is, you know, you, you were talking about getting involved with the schools, but I think that most parents are more concerned about what's going on at schools than their ability to make impact on their kids at home. Mm. Right. They're not even thinking that they're still, they're still projecting the responsibility of their kids being raised by some teacher with a master's degree that, you know, learned some really weird shit and uh, wants to pass it on to your kid, you know? Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in because I heard you talk about this. Is you you were homeschooled? You planned to homeschool? Um, yeah. and I know I know I know how you have some strong feelings about that whole institution. Yeah. Um. You know, I've got a few friends like Ben Greenfield's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, another guy, Jesse Elder, and the, the the thing that all three of us have in common is that we were homeschooled. Mm -hmm. And so when we meet each other, like the first time I met each one of these people, I was like. There's something, there's something that like magnetizes us to each other. And there's something that, that is like really deep there that I don't even have to know that, like, I didn't know that my friend Jesse was homeschooled until years after hanging out. And so, um, there's like the, a certain type of weirdo that's developed <laughs> when you're homeschooled, because basically I was in charge of creating my own structure, uh, in my childhood and they were too. And so. There's a level of, I wouldn't, I don't think it's rebellion. It's more of a, it's more of a, like, I don't actually need your help. Like mm. not, not, it's not a lone wolf thing. It's not like a, it's more like a, I don't need you to tell me, I don't need you to give me some rules mm. to follow. Cause you know, I, I just see, and I have friends that have been to school. Like my friend, Max Shank, we, we podcast every Monday and he went to school. He went through the whole system. And he just calls it obedience school. 
like yeah. it's a really good place to, to learn how to be obedient. Um, I believe that most uh, that kids can learn everything that that's K through 12. That's meaningful probably by the time they're 10. I don't think mathematics are that it's not that complex when taught well. Um, there's a lot of wasted time in that structure. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I remember my friends going to school and coming home and then having homework. I'm like, what the hell were you doing for eight hours in the classroom? If you have to come home and do homework. And then if your parents couldn't help you with the homework, you actually didn't learn the material. So who's teaching, you know, it's even if you send your kids to school and they're there for eight hours a day, then you're, you're still responsible for their education. You're responsible for their development. And I think that, you know, it, it happens, it happens worse in poor communities uh, because both parents are, are not present. Um, and uh, you know, schools become uh, daycares and it's like, I need someone to watch my kids so I can go work. And so the parents exhausted when they get home, the kids got homework when they get home. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem like a good idea. And, and the, the traditional school is still so new. Like the homeschooling is actually the norm and sending your, your kid to a school to be taught. That's only like royalty had that <laughs> until a hundred years ago there. It just didn't happen. So it's, it's a fairly new phenomena and it's uh, I think it's, I think it's dangerous to be honest. I'll, I'll just like, I'll be controversial. I just, I think it's a, I think it's a dangerous idea. You're, you're, you know, you're putting your kids in the hands of some person who like, I, I knew a bunch of education majors in college. I wasn't overly impressed with their, you know, ability to help develop the consciousness of human beings. Uh, I, I don't trust them. I, I don't, we shouldn't trust most people out there. Like I said, most people, 99% of the population are overripe children. They have no business developing other humans and, and they're going to anyways, but they're not going to develop. They're not going to be a, a key role in the development of my humans. Mm -hmm. Well, that actually is the other main thing I want to talk about. So that it's an interesting one to go over to the fitness space and, and your business of coaching coaches. Um, my other podcast I have is demand better podcast with a personal trainer in New York city, uh, David Corona, no relation to the virus. Um, <laughs> and he, uh, we talk about demanding better from, and the very first episode we did was demanding better from personal trainers. We try to call out pretty much every little industry that has all sorts of problems. We just did one about dentistry. Um, we've obviously called out my physical therapy folks. Uh, so I want to come back to you and, and ask about, again, the majority of the folks you're, you're working with are in the fitness space, yep. fitness coaches. Um, and so with the way the world's been going there, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more if we, if you don't mind shifting to that energy of, um, a is, is the fitness space, uh, a lot online, right? There's still that desire for connection, I think going on, uh, that a lot of folks are either they supplement in there um, without necessarily the best fitness piece of it. Um, you know, I, again, I, I kind of throw that request out as like, do we need a Jack LaLanne to kind of lead us into the promised land, some kind of celebrity to do it? Or uh, again, are we able to, to see these kind of nodes rising up and, and the kind of the evolution of, again, the space you kind of grew some of your celebrity out of was the CrossFit space. And that's devolved and evolved and <laughs> all these uh fluctuations so yeah uh, there's a question somewhere in there i think you you got what i'm going with though. yeah I, I, uh i've done a lot of thinking about you know crossfit was the last fitness revolution right jack jack lane's the godfather or right. the, the grandfather of fitness right um by the way i rented his house out in huh. uh palm springs for a week just wow. to just to be in that energy but um well i uh created some curriculum it was a it was a pretty neat experience but the um i think the crossfit revolution like man say what you will about gray glassman he accomplished his goal and i can tell you how, how you can tell that he accomplished his goals because i can go into a lifetime fitness i can go into a gold gym i can go into any of these places and you're going to find bumper plates you're going to find kettlebells mm -hmm. you're going to find people doing functional fitness you know, that version of functional fitness, he, he did it. You don't need 
we don't really need CrossFit boxes right. anymore. Like people, it, he, he changed the game in what, 20 years, not even, I'd say like 10, 15 years transformed everything. And I, and I sat here and I've thought long and hard about, Oh, what's the, I kept thinking, what's next, what's the next evolution? What's the mm-hmm. next like brand that comes along and just shakes up the whole industry. I want to like, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm really big at spotting trends. I like to be at the beginning. I like to be an early adopter. And the conclusion that I've come to is there isn't going to be one. So there isn't going to be another big revolution uh, that it, that gets that much attention. Everything is decentralizing. So uh, when they started, there were just not as many websites right? There were not as many blogs up. Now it's like there's workouts constantly being put out on Instagram, YouTube, all these things. Uh, people are, people are, have developed some really cool training modalities, things that I think should be more popular. Um, and they just, they just aren't. But what I'm, what I'm witnessing is it kind of like proliferates out and not under a single brand name, but all these ideas are, are just seeping to get seeping around the internet and seeping yeah. around from, uh, to all the different people out there. So I think that we're, we're in an age where there's like micro influencers, micro fitness influencers. And for, you know, there's always going to be that one person, you know, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger that comes along and, you know, they got 20 million followers and this and that, or, you know, the rock, you know, he, he could be considered that type of influencer. Um, he's got other things going on though. Um, and I think if someone's just a fitness influencer, then be, be happy with 2000 followers, 3000 followers, whatever it is. And, uh, and making the impact that way, but I don't see a a big wave coming through again. Uh, I I see it being much more of like a, a decentralized leadership in regard to health and fitness. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. It's a little similar to what Kelly and Juliet uh, Starrett said in their kind of response uh, about the apocalypse and, and all that, uh, was was we have to be nodes, again, going back to the local piece. So it is, uh, you know, being able to, to have a tribe, Seth Godin talks about, right? If I'd rather have 100 really passionate followers um, and, and high-paying clients than, than you know, 10,000 or 15,000. Um, so there, there's a really interesting piece there. And, and to the other point that I want to come back to for my selfish purposes is I think I'm really good at what I do. I think I can help people get out of pain, feel better, uh, have a 30 year plan of, you know, how to save for their physical retirement so that when they're 70 years old, uh, they, you know, they can be still be training for the centenarial Olympics as, uh, Peter Atia talks about. Um, so I think I'm really good at that, but I'm terrible at marketing. Like I I'm open, I'm honest, I'm consistent. I do some of the things I'm far from like doing all the things of, Hey, I'm looking for five people to get really healthy and, and like do all those call outs, um, that I, you know, I make fun of, but they work. Um, and it, it, you know, people, those, all those systems out there, like are what people respond to. And if you can make a change by showing some cleavage or, you know, <laughs> or, or some, skin it works, or whatever. it works. So it's, it's. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, should I ride on my, and, and then you get, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. Um, Mm-mm. and, and, uh, that, that that's their little joke. That's how they introduce themselves, but they've been putting out a video pretty much, I think three, three a week or something for, for a couple, for like six, seven years. And they have, you know, uh, 6 million followers on YouTube, uh, alone and, and on other channels too. And so like, they're just, they're not doing any of that stuff. They don't cut, they don't edit. Uh, they're just like, Hey, oops, we blew, we goofed that one, but like, we're going to keep going. And, and, you know, they're not doing all the crazy stuff that a lot of other people are doing, but it just, it's, there's genuineness there that eventually kind of, I think shines through. So it's really interesting to see how these kind of things are getting built and, and how there's tons of money in all these channels. Um, and you know, all you need is a thousand watch hour or a thousand subscribers and 4,000 watch hours to start making money on YouTube. Um, and, and like, you can make a, you can, you can make a decent living if you, if you start going above that, right. You can make 4,000 a month. Well, you know, I, uh, so one of my, uh, one of my clients, he, when I met him, I met him in San Francisco. He had a little gathering at a cafe and he goes, I got 200,000 YouTube subscribers. And I go, how much money are you making? Mm -hmm. He goes about five grand a month off of YouTube. 
He's like, but I, that's not enough for my lifestyle. I'm like, yeah, you have 200,000 YouTube subscribers. Then uh, you should be doing a lot better than five grand a month. Yeah. Um, so um, my, my kind of the rule that I follow is you should be making a dollar a month per, per uh, follower. Mm. And if that's like minimum, that means that you have a, a somewhat compelling offer. If you're making $2, you have a great offer. If you're making three, $4 a follower per month, then you're, you're crushing. Your offer is extremely compelling and people can't wait to work with you. And so over the next year, he went from like 5,000 a month to $50,000 a month. So <clears throat> one of the ways we did this is really highlighting what makes that person different. And so I think that the average coach that's like, I can help anybody and I want to be able, like, I can help you with your back problem, your knee problem. I can help you lose weight. I can do any of those things. The only clients they're ever going to get are the people who are really close to them. They, they, there, there's something like that just draws them in. Like someone can survive that way as a trainer. Uh, but somebody really wants to excel, make a really big impact. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is they, they have a really good way of niching down. So the formula I've got for niching and uh, the the guy I think who's done it the best recently is knees over toes guy. Yeah. So the guy, the guy's got sound training principles. I've, I've been into his program before I got curious about it. I'm like, all right, is this guy legit? Um, and I was like, yeah, this guy could probably teach you how to fix your shoulders. He could, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, but I go, look, he's talking to 35 to 55 year old guys. That's the demographic. The mm -hmm. value graphic is they value athleticism. Mm -hmm. That's why he's dunking a basketball and every other post. Exactly. They value athleticism. They with with his shirt be, off in the sun. <laughs> yeah. They used to be athletic, but I'm not athletic anymore. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a victim <laughs> of my knee pain. Mm -hmm. Right. There's, there's a, there is a, problem that's standing between me and the thing that I value. I value being athletic, but the problem is I can't actually achieve athleticism because my, my damn knee. And he didn't go after back pain. He didn't go after neck pain. He didn't go after shoulder. He could have done any of that. He said knee pain. So that he, he probably just focused on the thing that was probably bothering him the most. And maybe he mm -hmm. noticed that other people were too. So we got, We've got the demographic, men age 35 to 55. You got the value, which is athleticism, and you got the problem that's keeping them from achieving that value, and that is knee pain. So I think that, you know, when I started Barbell Shrugged in 2012, it was a strength and conditioning podcast directed at uh, CrossFitters. That was niche, right? It's not niche anymore. Fast forward 2022, 20 or 10 years later, and if I go look for a CrossFit podcast or strength and conditioning podcast about CrossFit, I'm going to run into at least a hundred, mm -hmm. right? It's not a niche anymore. You got to become more specialized. And so that's one reason I really like to point out what he's doing is because he's specialized on the demo. He's specialized on the value and he specialized on the problem. And so he hit that. He, he, he just nailed it. And so that's one reason he's doing really well. And, it, and his offer is, you know, I can get you out of knee pain within, you know, you know, in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think his offer online is about, well, he's got his book on Amazon. I think I bought that for like 10 bucks. And then he's got his online training, which is 50 bucks. Now he's somebody who can do low dollar offers because he has a massive following. And so, uh, I really like for people to, do a high dollar offer first high ticket coaching. And that informs you and helps you build up the credibility where you could do the book. You could do the membership site. That's 50 mm. bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month. But the coaches who start with like a hundred dollar a month thing that have a thousand followers, I'm like, you're just never gonna, you're never going to be full time. Mm -hmm. And so I really encourage people to go, go really niche, go high ticket, create an offer that those people really want. They're willing to spend 500 to a thousand dollars a month to achieve that then gives the coach the space they need 
to develop themselves. I can now afford to go get another certification or learn from somebody who's, who's really good. I can, uh, I can pour myself into the clients that I do have. I can find out what's actually going on with them instead of assuming what it is. And then now I can write a book. Now I can create a low dollar offer that really speaks to those people. Cause I, I got so intimate with a handful of people that I've been working with. Yeah. And it's a little contrarian uh, to the, what a lot of masterminds and business coaches say, which is having funnels and get them in that low ticket offer. Uh, and then you get them on your email list and give them the free value. It's the jab, jab, punch kind of Gary V thing. Right. So uh, there's some interesting I, stuff there. And again, if, I, I do believe in that, right. but it's not where people should start. The, right. Build the, build the funnel from your highest dollar amount for your ideal client and then work down. Whereas most people, they, they start with a low dollar and work their way up. Cause then you're going to end up with clients you don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we saw that with like the Groupon concept in CrossFit, right? You're like, oh, dude, like, that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I own two gyms in Memphis, Tennessee, and we tried the Groupon thing, and we were like, oh my god, we got 30 people into our fundamentals class, high five. And then you know, within the next six months, we realized that these people were breaking contracts and weren't that committed, and it kind of messed up the 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 vibe in the yeah. gym. Yeah. 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 And that was a little bit of the joke. I, I started CrossFit in 2010. We used to say there was an asshole filter of like, you get, you know, cause like when I started, I was in New York city, we had very few, uh, you know, CrossFits there in 2010. And one of them, the one I started at CrossFit Gotham, uh, you had to go is the basement of a church. They only had a five, six, seven AM class. Um, you, if you were in the 5 AM, you had to open up the closet and pull out all the equipment for the day. And then if you're in the 7 a.m. You had to help clean up and put all that. Like you couldn't get any of these like Groupon people. You couldn't get most CrossFit members to to stay. You know now because they could just go to the next the one down the street. Um, that's that's you know doesn't ask that much of them. But yeah, it completely changes it. It's like yeah, you know what? Like we have a unique kind of group of people who are going to suffer together and you know pitch in and that community sense that. Uh, definitely went away over the years as it got more commercialized and more popular. But, you know, that's the nature of, I think, the that kind of ebb and flow, in, in, especially in the fitness space. So, um, yeah. It's kind of like Burning Man. It's yeah. hard to get there. <laughs> There's a natural filter for uh, mm-hmm. who ends up out there. Yeah, yeah. I do want to put up a better – I'm hoping this graphic is better of the um, – uh, there it is. Yeah, there's the drama triangle, a little better than the one I had earlier uh, visualization. So, uh, just so anybody who, who was trying to look earlier was a little too small. Um, <laughs> of course you could just Google yeah. that in, in, in the Google machine. Um, but yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I do want to, you know, respect your time and, and, uh, we can wrap up here. I don't know if you had any closing thoughts, um, based on a lot of, we covered a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, as a, as a coach, I mean, I think our primary thing that we need to do is lead by example. You know, we're looking out and seeing how things should be different. Are we doing it? You know, how are we doing at home ourselves? You know, are we getting enough sleep? Are we getting, are we eating well? Are we, you know, I, I know so many people who um, are so concerned about the health of other people and, mm-hmm. and want to help other people and they work their ass off but they don't take their own advice. And so that's people learn by modeling other people's behavior. They don't Mm -hmm. learn by what you say, what you say may draw them in, but they only do what you're, what you're willing to do yourself. Yeah. It's a big takeaway. I've tried to, uh, you know, launch recently, but Jerry Durham, who's a physical therapist out of Philadelphia and uh, he's run a few successful businesses. He's a fun follow on Twitter. Anyone who likes rage against the machine or beastie boys or the San Francisco giants, you will, you will get a kick out of his stuff. <laughs> but, uh, he he's, he's a prolific poster. He posts like seven, 77 times a day. I don't know. He's on there all the time, but, uh, yeah, he, he talks about sharing the journey and, and as a business owner or as a coach, uh, whatever it is you're doing, uh, you know, again, being the change you want to see in the world, but also, hey, here's my struggles and, and it's okay for that reality to, to be there versus, hey, guys, I drink La Croix. Like, make sure you get your La Croix. This is what keeps me going um, and, and things like that. So, you know, it's it's that difference of genuineness versus selling something. How can I make some money off of this? Like all these little things. I do think we're going to see some kind of uh, almost to, to Greg Glassman's point, cream rising to the top eventually. Cause I think right now there's a lot of people getting away with a lot of nonsense um, and still being able to kind of, you know, make a lot of money off of 
uh, BS off of promising again, six pack abs and, and all that stuff. And, uh, I think there will be a, I'm hopeful the market will, will find its rhythm and, and regulate itself again to the concept of the cream will rise to the top, uh, the libertarian, if you will, market. Uh, I, I think Rob Wolf will have some more things to say on that if, if, <laughs> if we get him on there, but he's, he's hard to get on. I, I had to book him like three months ago. So finally yeah. got him today. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, tell folks where they can find you, best places to connect, uh, your podcast. I'll link down below the Mike Bledsoe show. Sure. Yeah. Where you else? can go to, uh, thebledsoshow.com you can go to thestrongcoach.com and on instagram i'm mike underscore bledsoe that's it pretty pretty easy to find pretty easy to find uh so guys go check him out got some great content out there hope you got one percent better today don't forget to like share subscribe leave a rating review all that stuff um and buy my lacroix i got the referral link down <laughs> below uh <laughs> and on that note we'll take off thanks mike for being on here uh, thank you you guys before you take off, please help the show grow. Do me a favor, either click on one of the links in the description so you can support the show by buying some products, getting some free gifts from Drink LMNT or using my Amazon affiliate link. And other than that, share this out with folks who can benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating and a comment and a review wherever you listen to this. Really appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great day. Get 1% better. Talk to you next time.